Welcome to Blacklisted Marks. I'm Nick Stumphauser. I'm Spencer Field. Still. I haven't changed. No, it's great. I, I did consider it. I found, I was actually um, out with my brother visiting some dead relatives at a graveyard we found. Nice. And the uh, gentleman next to my uncle um, was named Norbert. Ooh. And I thought to myself, Norbert, now that's a nice name that I could get on board with. That is worthy of switching. Yes. That is worthy of switching. So I haven't, I haven't yet, but next time you might be introducing me as Norbert Field. <laughs> At your service. Uh, all right. So what are we talking about today, Spencer? All right. So we've we've been kicking around a couple of ideas. If you guys have any ideas, by the way, about what you'd like to see here on Blacklister remarks, feel free to send them in. But today we're talking about the idea of assisted suicide. And there's many different items which usually pop into people's heads when that happens. When do we do it? How do we do it? Is it legal? Um, when should somebody be able to decide that? So like, let's do our quick like initial gut reaction when you hear that thought nick assisted suicide right off the bat well uh this is gonna be a dark conversation so i'll start it off with a slightly humorous anecdote um so palliative care or uh, euthanasia sure is often known as what it's called um well it's a little broader than that we'll get there a little bit broader for sure but uh when i was growing up and i heard the term euthanasia being tossed around um the catholic church and it being condemned um because it was always in the in the intercessions and in the prayers. Um, I always thought it was the young children east of Europe, uh, euthanasia. I wasn't. Oh, okay. Because I right. didn't know that it was EU. EU yeah, yeah, yeah. So, euthanasia. That makes sense. Right. And that could be like a great action item. Like we need to really work with the euthanasia. And I was like, well, you know, Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> But uh, bring no. these pagans home. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, wait, it's a little bit more Baptist. Sorry, that, that was not happening. Um, but yeah, so uh, I have so many initial gut reactions. All right, so um, let's just lay them out there. Yeah, like a shredder on reverse. Just start throwing <laughs> ideas out. Um, I think the first would be to acknowledge that it would never be an easy decision. Sure. And if it were, somewhere along the way, there is a deeply sociopathic individual involved if euthanizing or end-of-life care or assisted suicide has no emotion involved. All right, we're going to start off. We're uh, currently two and a half minutes in. This is the first point of disagreement. All right. Stick on the table, pin pin on the topic, but let's okay. keep moving on. Uh, so I would say that it, it's um, it's – going to be a tough decision for those involved uh i think that maybe for the you know people who just by the title assisted suicide in and of itself don't understand it um well actually we might be talking about two different things we should ah. define our terms here so when i hear it i think like grandpa's you know 97 years old and doesn't know his toes from tater tots sure and you know can't speak so uh, the doctor says, like, you know, we are breathing for him. Mm -hmm. We are pumping his, you know, blood through his body. And sure, his he's on dialysis. life support. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, he doesn't even open his eyes. Like, just, you know, pull the plug. Okay. Um, that's one way to do it. You know, and there's usually, like, a power of attorney or will involved. Yeah, removal of care. Exactly. And then there's, um, which... There's, there was a recent case. I think it was a woman who had cancer. Mm -hmm. I think this was, in the, this was in the last three or four years. A woman who had terminal cancer and she elected to uh, have doctor-assisted suicide 
prior to going through i think even chemo sure um and so then there's that and that to me i i i don't know i don't have cancer as far as you know any of us know but you do have cancer all humans have cancer okay but spencer i don't have terminal cancer we don't know that we don't know that but um you know that's something that it's easy to jump to a you ought to react this way and this is something i've been realizing a lot in my life lately is like i have this tendency to say this is how you ought to react Mm -hmm. and i'm saying that from a position of never having experienced anything of the kind um so with that general disembodied opinion I'll pass that over to you. <laughs> Is there a specific question or just like general re- just reactions? Your reactions? Okay. Uh, and also, what are we talking about? Sure. Because we might be talking about two different things. All right. So great question. I always – the question of definitions I think is a very important question and will solve so many problems, which I think uh, are out there. I think it is one of the five Spencer, uh, what, what, what is 2 plus 2 for? Uh, def- usually four, but it depends. Oh, yeah. on that point, just to kind of readdress, if you had just endured our last episode <laughs> and, and you're now joining us, uh, we had a discussion prior to uh, starting the recording of this episode and have chosen to move on yes. to, to greater topics. Both Nick and I did further research, and while there's certainly interesting things that we could discuss for the time being, we don't believe it's beneficial to continue digging down that hole. However, I'm sure we will circle back to that um, at one point in time. We also issue a blanket apology for those who listened to the previous podcast. Actually, previous podcasts, any of the 13, um, we apologize for. Yes. Um, so when I talk about the term assisted suicide or euthanasia, um, what I mean by that term is somebody who is currently alive wants to be dead and they're doing that for whatever motive they want to, and they're looking for somebody else to assist them in that. So they want an external third party to help them end their life. Um, That could be from a medical professional, that could be from a friend, um, it could be from a total stranger, but Mm -hmm. they're looking, somebody is looking to end their life for whatever reason, and they're looking for assistance from a third party to do that. And there's many motivations which go into that. And so I think oftentimes this conversation, it is, there are categorical motivations which go into this. So I'll put those on the table. And there's also like situational allowances, which are often put on the table as well with the states um, in the United States, which do allow assisted suicide, usually physician assisted suicide. I think actually only physician assisted suicide. Those two questions are really important when deciding whether or not. Right. Because it's often prosecuted if it's like, if Spencer, you're like, Nick, I want to die. And I like helped you right now. You're dead. Nobody knows what your intentions were. And sure. I'm going to jail for well, even, murder. even if I have like a, if it was very clear, I had made it clear to many people yeah. that I want. It's not that you'd be, it'd probably be more like manslaughter. Um, sure. But sure. anyways, there would be some negative yes. criminal repercussions depending on which state you live in. <laughs> My LinkedIn account would have a slight yeah, ding yeah, on it. Yeah. Just a little, <laughs> um, of course, any linked account always has so many dings on it. It's uh, ridiculous. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about first kind of that the um, the motivations for committing assisted suicide. So I think that there are three which I'm making up off the top of my head. So hold on. Go ahead. Um, so first one I think would be um, impending suffering. 
Mm-hmm. And that could be through um, usually su- through some sort of physical suffering, like uh, a medical situation. Sure. Um, you, you get diagnosed with cancer. You're going to have <clears throat> some limbs amputated, you know, something yeah. which is going um, to reduce. The second reason I think is is less often seen, but is often more um, what you'd see in like a James Bond movie. Like you're going to be captured by the enemies. And so you don't want your information to be revealed to okay. other people. Okay. Um, and I think that, or, um, and it kind of crosses over, like maybe you're going to be captured and you think you're going to be tortured to death. And you're like, I would rather my buddy put a bullet through my head than be, sure. you know, filleted to death. Um, and I think the third category is, um, where somebody is not afraid of impending suffering, is not afraid of like revealing information, but is currently suffering in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, usually this is through chronic physical pain, um, it, but sometimes it's also seen as a chronic mental disorder, which is, you know, perpetuating out. So those are kind of three categories yeah. um, in my head. The three situations, which I think are often happening, is you first you have the dead and dying. Somebody who's, you know, 95 years old, they've been a little um a little uh out of sorts from a medical standpoint for a while um and they just want it to end maybe they've you know been in the hospital for years and it's not removal of care they can um exist without an external Mm -hmm. um, breathing apparatus but they just want they want to um, end the suffering is oftentimes Mm -hmm. come up um so that's like one situation the second situation is when there is still hope left in a situation where the preponderance of evidence says that is likely or at least reasonable to believe that you will overcome the situation in the future. There is some hope beyond it. Um, actually, I'm just going to stick with two. There are those two situations like right, right. you have no to little reasonable hope or there's a lot of hope, which mm-hmm. are, are kind of coming out. And I think each of those kind of combinations um, result in a different thought process and a different way of reacting to um how how somebody might perceive assisted suicide so i have two thoughts about that but first i want to hear your just blanket gut reaction to that do you have a this is wrong in every scenario period or do you have a yeah let the you know power to the people do whatever the hell they want sure what's your gut instinct about it depends about what time of the day you're asking me if it's before (laughs) i've gotten to the office and put in a couple hours then then it's a blanket never yeah Um, if it's after a long day of staring at spreadsheets my answer might change a little bit um often i so i really am torn on this issue one side of me says innate human value never end a life um absolutely never blah 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 but i know you better yeah but you know me better (laughs) um actually anybody who knows me probably knows me better than that uh and then the second reaction that i have which is the one which i would say that i most deeply connect with which is assisted suicide is acceptable in specific situations after deep consideration by both the person who's taking it and external independent third parties. Interesting. So two plus two does not always not, equal four. Not always. Got it. All right. Um, so as you were describing the, the different scenarios, um, one word stuck out in my head more than anything else. It's not a word that you said, but it's a distinction that I noticed, and that is dignity. Sure. So when I hear about the case of the woman who had terminal cancer, I mm-hmm. believe she was young. I think she was under the age of 30. Mm-hmm. She had terminal cancer, and um, I don't remember if she had kids or not. Um, and then, uh, you know, older people who, you know, might be going through just any of those scenarios. Whenever you have the idea of palliative care, you know, of euthanasia, 
being discussed, you always hear the individual saying, um, I want to go with dignity. Yeah, actually, this conversation is often termed when it gets to the legislator, the die with dignity bills. Interesting, interesting. I was not aware of that. So uh, that's something to me that's very specific and different um, in comparison to, for example, somebody who just on their own commits suicide mm -hmm. for their own reasons. And I'm not saying that there's less dignity, but the question or the um, insertion of that point is definitely brought up and, and brought forth whether it's in legislation or uh, when people are being, um, you know, um, berated for for having made this choice, and it, you know, often goes public. There's usually some press involved with it and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm going to put the question to you: Do you think there is dignity? And so, I personally like if okay, I'm 007. I have all of the secrets of, you know. Britain in my yeah. head and um I was gonna say America so it tells you how little I have watched the James Bond series yeah. <laughs> and uh you know I'm captured and I have a cyanide pill yeah right um I think it I would die with dignity and many people would uh you know the country would if if my name was ever released you yeah. know um, they would say, good on you, Nick. Yeah, good on me. Or, or you know, the soldier who jumps on the grenade for his platoon. Yep. Um, you know, yes, that's suicide, but, like, technically he's I saving his life. I would be suicide, but we'll come, we can still go back to that. Um, intentionally ending your own life for the protection of others. I wouldn't call it suicide. We'll come back to that. Keep going. Sure. Go. But I think that's uh, a very big difference, and there's, there's a note of, like, honor and dignity and, like, sure. heroism to that versus um you know somebody who you know some people might say like you know that woman who ended her life like okay you have a husband and you have kids mm -hmm. and millions of people before you have ca gotten cancer and have mm -hmm. died yeah but many of them have pushed through like you could have a ted talk in 10 years sure. you, you don't know like like how dare you do that but um then the libertarian in me kind of kicks down the door and is like well you, you want know. to end your life, then it's your, you know, who yeah. are we to stand in the way? Sure. And, and I mean, granted, like, don't tread on my and granted, cyanide you can, pills. You can, anyone can do that at any point. I think it was Louis, Louis C.K. Uh, who made the joke. He said, um, he says, you don't have to do anything ever. He says, you can kill yourself, but you can only make the decision once. And he, he his delivery is a lot better, but he's like, you know, somebody tells you to like clean your room or whatever. It's like, you don't have to. You can just kill yourself. But you can only do that one time. So it's like, yeah, you can get out of all of these things. Um, but so I guess I would just kick it back to you. Do you see that if there's a distinction in dignity between the different Yeah, cases? so like um... – is this honorable or is this just a cop out because you don't have the, you know, the mental fortitude to push through? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, good questions. I would say my first, like, as soon as you started talking about dignity, my first thought, which came up is dignity is a social construct <laughs> and changes based upon where you and live. And you say that I am the reductionist. What can I say? Um, I think that's actually complicating the situation. So I'm not sure that it's reductionistic, but when I look at this, my first thought is that dignity totally depends upon what culture you're in and what might 
be like you know the whole had the whole like samurai sure um, that dishonored their yeah, family exactly they... yep uh thing and then you have you know the western idea of dignity and you have the european idea of dignity and then you have different cultures so my first thought is that there's not really a universal definition of dignity mm-hmm. and so it's hard to say that um somebody who's dying in a dignified manner or some um is more justified in committing assisted suicide than somebody who's not dying with dignity Mm -hmm. and my second thought would be what is more personal to this what is what else can i own more than my life as an individual which is if i can't even own the Mm. choice to continue or not can i own anything else but do you own that i think that i do um I think that if there's anything that I own, I have I have that choice to make. All right, I'm gonna just pull a Spencer here and right. start making an analogy and sure. see if the bridge collapses under my feet gotcha. as I begin to speak. Fair warning, as Spencer, seventy five percent of bridges collapse. Okay. So just keep going. All right, well we'll see. Um, maybe I will elucidate my point in my failure. Sure. Um, so I've gone head to head with you before on the idea of taxes. Sure. Where have we? Yes. Oh. Yes. You demand that I pay taxes and I pay my taxes, but I don't. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do like, like when I'm a W2. IRS, it's a joke. It's, it's a just, joke. it's just a joke. Don't believe it. Yeah. No, but like as, as a, you know, W2 employee, mm-hmm. um, I obviously file my taxes. Oh, I remember this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think it was part of a podcast. It was not, no, it was okay, not part it, of a yeah, co- yeah. podcast, just in general. Yeah. And, you know, I go see Sam Tice here in Brighton. He's yep. a great tax guy. Um, he's helping me with my LLC now. Like I'm, I'm doing things in that legal fashion with much screaming and kicking and gnashing of teeth. I sure. Um, but obviously growing up, you know, my dad would tell me like, if I'm, you know, mowing the lawn for the neighbor and he gives me 20 bucks, he's like, Nick, you don't have to declare this. You know, you're 17, just take the money. Like legally, you don't have to either. Really? Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be reported from the employer until in Michigan, you cross the threshold of $600. Sure. But so- the- the the idea is is like i i have a feeling you are supposed to report whatever yeah Yeah. exactly like you you fall into the category of of puritanical uh adherence to tax that is not why i am so to be fair to to let me let me fail with my analogy i i I will defend myself because i was just called a puritan and i am (laughs) i am a baptist (laughs) damn it (laughs) not a puritan um and we'll suffice this, maybe this is another conversation, is that the reason I think that you should pay your taxes is it's not just so you're following the law. It's not pay your taxes because that's what the law says to do. I have a deeper reasoning behind that. All right, continue. Equally failing. baseless. Yeah. Anyway. All right. <laughs> going to write that down right now. Add that to the list of things to talk about. So taxes are baseless. I'm getting Sam on my side. And I would – and I – would bring this up to you and, and we would have this discussion you would say like you know the roads that you drive on to get to your job the you know the lights that you turn on in the facility yeah the, the fact that isis isn't in the basement you know shooting at us yeah sure we're not going to get into foreign affairs but that's fine national defense taxes biggest expenditure anyways yeah and why would they go to my basement you're okay. not letting me fail at my own analogy sorry anyway. anyway i'm done so the this type of idea boy i don't even remember where i was going with this you were saying uh dignity and boy i think i lost it that's a good tactic spencer that's a good tactic just just keep rebuffing until until i until i break down what was it 
All right. Well, you're thinking about it. Yeah. Um, my second, like, the thought perpetuates itself. If I don't own my body, if I don't have, own the right to commit suicide, ah, that's or, what it okay, was. Thank you. you. Um, so it's sort of like by being a citizen of the United States, you have a certain obligation to pay taxes. If you are a working citizen, if you are in the workforce, you are obligated to pay taxes because you benefit from certain societal uh, things like, you know, paved roads, um, national defense, whatever it is, NPR for you. Um, <laughs> and yeah, not support as much by tax dollars as you think, but <laughs> sure. They have um, great socks. Fundraising starts in two weeks. Oh my God. Thanks for joining us on NPR. This is morning edition. Oh boy. Oh boy. 1-800. What have we become? Um, so, but but you are like, though you are a citizen, you're kind of in this social contract, uh, whether or not you really want to be, you're like, all right, I'm an American. Mm -hmm. I have, I have signed the W2. Mm -hmm. I have agreed to work at this, you don't sign it. You know what I mean? I, I have accepted W2. Like I've agreed to work in this, uh, you know, in this facility, I am going to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. I am now part of so the duties to the society. Yeah. The duty is the society. I think there's an analogous. This is better than I expected. Now it's, it is going pretty good. Got, got I don't know. It's very it. much of an analogy that, but it, yeah, I'll just use the word. It's analogous to the social contract that we have. For example, um, when you have relationships with people, mm -hmm. um, mother to son, brother to sister, um, parent to child, parent to child, um, spouses, boyfriends mm -hmm. and girlfriends, business um, relationships, all of these things, you have a bit of a social contract that's it's not a bit of it's a full-on that's like i'm gonna stick around to continue the work until external things remove me from the environment and if you breach that because you're a libertarian you know i think the same libertarian me who says that like i'm not going to pay taxes because taxation is theft god damn it is the same person who might make your claim like if i own nothing i must own my own life and therefore i should be able to do with it what i please and i think that i would assert that you don't own all of your life what do you what do you say to that so i think this is the Whew, question made it to the end job, I need a gold medal. Have a round of applause yes, thank you spencer you want to wipe your brow right. um, <laughs> and so I think the question you're asking is the question of prioritized duties. And I would say that I have duties to myself. I have duties to the society at large, to the friends that I have around me, to my family, to my employees, to my employers, all of them. Um, I would say that I have um, a, du a duty to all mankind, a duty to my um, countrymen, a duty um, to people on my sports teams, I would say that all of these things have a duty. And actually, at the very definition of a relationship, whatever that relationship is between either maybe things, but definitely people, has within it inherently a duty structure between those those two things. Yeah. I also think, think that there are times which duties supersede each other. So, you know, common example, people are starving to death. You only have enough to feed one child. The child will die if you don't do it. You know, feed the child. Um, do you feed it to your son or do you feed it to the the person just walking by you on the street, the child walking by you on the street? Like first, you know, reductionistic situation probably would never happen. But, you know, if that happened, well, I would say that as a father, I have a specific duty to my son. Congratulations. That I, thank you. Thank you. His name is Norbert. <laughs> 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 um, 
that I that I am to uphold. And yeah. so that duty supersedes my duty to, you know, the the situation, this individual which has been placed in my life, yeah. my countrymen, whatever, the young, whatever <laughs> that, that happens. Um, so I will readily admit that I have duties to other people. I will readily admit most of the time part of that inherent duty is that I'll stick around. I won't, I won't go and die on you if I can help it. But I'd also say that there are because of that level of priority set up that I'm saying this out loud, not really having thought about it deeply. So I may redact this Welcome in about to five minutes. Remarks, is that the duty which might supersede all other duties mm -hmm. um, is the duty to myself and the perpetuation of my life, or it might be the duty to serve all others because that's kind of the duty that I live by. Um, so well, okay. No, I got this. All right. Sorry. <laughs> there, yeah. I know those are contradictory. So, take two. Um, I was listening to a conversation the other day about um, when somebody is truly expressing a servant attitude. So oftentimes in business, we have this term called servant leadership. And it's when is somebody truly being a servant leader? And there's definitions being thrown around. And one definition, which I thought was really good, is that being a servant is when you willingly give up your rights to something for the greater good. So I don't know. I'm probably talking about. I've been talking about this in the wrong way. I think that I definitely have a duty to mankind, but I also have a right to make that determination of whether or not I continue or not. And those two things will rub together and create sparks. So, two thoughts, both from Jordan Peterson, um, whom I know you are not the greatest fan of. But um, the first is that, and as actually, it's Thomas Sowell, it's Jordan Peterson, it's many thinkers who have said that you cannot talk about rights without talking about responsibilities sure. and that they are two sides of the same coin. And I'll get to that in a minute. And the second thought is that um, what Jordan Peterson would say is that, all right, so you and I know probably on a first name basis, like have a somewhat decent communicative relationship with a roughly a hundred people. I'd say I'm way more than that, okay. but would you sure. say a thousand? Uh, yeah, I'd okay. say. All right, so we'll use an example. A thousand people. Yeah. And chances are those thousand people also know and have somewhat of a mediocre communicative relationship with a thousand people, which means you are one degree away from impacting one million people. Sure. Which means that every good thing that you do and every bad thing that you do is actually has a lot bigger impact than we often think that we do. Yeah. Which is why Peterson talks about like, get your shit together because you matter as an individual. He says, you could either take it one of two ways. Either I'm a speck of dust in the universe floating along, nothing matters, fuck everything. Mm -hmm. Or you could say like, I genuinely have an impact on everyone around me. So I think to sort of, reinforce my earlier claim that you don't own yourself uh or not completely would be to reinforce this idea of social obligation and the social contract is that like you have the opportunity to potentially benefit between a thousand and a billion people and potentially the entire world doing what you're doing when you look at it in terms of just degrees of separation it takes two steps to get to a billion and if you take yourself out of the equation, you would have to have thought long and fucking hard that you cannot do any good, that you would be damaging 
a million and a billion people and that you will continue to damage them for the rest of your life and that there is nothing, there's no good that you could do that would ever compensate for that evil. If we're just talking strict utilitarianism here, I think that you would have to, to believe in your heart and soul and be right about it, that you would harm more people than you would help in your entire lifetime. Um, you know, the woman who, for example, uh, I think she had an even wider reach than um, just speaking to a thousand people. You know, she got media coverage. And what's the message that she walked away with? You get dealt the hand of cancer and you have a family, you are totally, uh, you will be accepted and uh, thrown into the public eye and respected and called a brave hero for taking your own life. And you'll be, you'll, you'll be said that you did it with dignity. Now, whether or not that's true, that is a huge weight on a dead woman's shoulders that I don't know that she necessarily considered, or if she did, that's enough to, to really make somebody go up onto a mountaintop and think for a long time. You know, I have the entire world watching me right now, and I'm making an existential statement about whether or not it's okay to keep living in the face of suffering. And this is my decision, and it's well publicized, and you know how many millions or billions of people are going to be impacted because of that so i think that we take that audio clip we put some chill step on it and that you we could take that and that could be just like the promo for black <laughs> of course it would be bait and switch marketing but that's a lot of like your life matters you are two degrees of separation away from impacting a million people like I, yeah. I think there's some really good motivational speaking that you could do here. I, I, it was motivational regurgitating. Okay. Well, it was good regurgitating. Thank you. Of all the regurgitating I have witnessed. Now, that was now bad. get Peterson to let me interview him. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> he would be like, say it. Peterson, he's been interviewing this joker. He, there's no way he could deal with me. Uh, <laughs> so I, all right. Yes. And. So I think I agree with everything that you just said, which is a very rare occurrence. That and that concludes this episode. Of <laughs> We're gonna put a bow gonna, on that one real quick. Let's put a red date on the calendar for this one. I think I agree with everything you said, and uh, I think the question here is is going back to the idea of rights, and maybe it would be unwise for me to for this woman to make whatever decision or it would be unwise i would negatively impact all these people around me like i i will get on board with that in many situations it'd be a bad idea to commit assisted suicide totally on board no argumentation and that by doing that i could negatively affect many many people around me 100 right. on board but if if we take away if we export that ownership of the self to something else to the community at large i think that we have fundamentally changed the paradigm in which we live and i would say that paradigm is not the paradigm i believe to be most true so do you believe in the sovereignty of the individual above all else then or would you just like would you describe it as that sure so without going back to qualitative and quantitative truth which i'm pleased you're really God, trying not, not to <laughs> i would say that um in one essence that if there is any sovereignty, it is the sovereignty over my own life. One, if there is a responsibility above all other responsibilities, it is to steward my life well. 
and that those two things may rub in conflict with each other at times or maybe come to I an explosive fly in conflict with each other all right so let me see i'm gonna push your thought experiment right. as i usually do please i wonder if we if we took if we layered all 13 episodes of blacklisted remarks yep. if we could see like the beats that we have if we hit yeah, like the, the same story if we put chill step behind each one of you know the, nick's motivational moments we uh, probably could find some pretty lined up beats in there somewhere. there you go um so can you construct for me a scenario where the rights of yourself as an individual would be uh would require exercising in the form of assisted suicide a situation that is so extreme where you would you would believe that to be right where it would outweigh your responsibility to steward your life and provide good to the world you personally yeah no I don't think I could. Okay. I think, well, the, like one situation you might be able to get me to is like if I'm dying on my deathbed and it's just a matter of You're not days. resting on your deathbed? And, and no, I'm dying. You're not doing push-ups on your deathbed? No, I'm definitely dying. Wow. Of All course, right. I'm dying sitting in this chair too. So, oh, I mean, yeah. there may not, so whenever I, I go to sleep at night, assuming I slept on a bed, then I would be in my deathbed. But, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it, assuming like end of life, it, you yeah. know, all hope is lost. It's just going to be three months of pain and suffering for myself and my loved ones, then I could get that. But at that point, my responsibility to making the world a better place may have been significantly altered to my responsibility mm. now. I actually think two things. Really? One, I, I think a lot of things. I was going to say, <laughs> I would imagine you, you think more than two things. So Peterson opened his first conversation with Harris by calling yeah. him not sufficiently Darwinian. Uh, and and I, which he later apologized for. Right, which... Fine. Uh, I don't think you're sufficiently Buddhist. Thankfully, I don't claim to be a Buddhist. So, but in I'm our like... in our uh, faux <laughs> quasi uh, semi hemi demi exploration of Buddhism that you and I have embarked on, um, I think that those three months of suffering for you are several things one it's the greatest opportunity for enlightenment should after your entire life you are still too thick to have achieved it on your own uh or two and two it is the opportunity for you to do the most good and here's why uh because you're not sounding like a good buddhist right now so i'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for this to line up so what to to better explain the first if life is suffering and everything up until the last three months of your life has paled in comparison to the suffering that you're about to experience and the path to enlightenment is to transcend suffering or one of the paths to enlightenment is to transcend suffering what better opportunity that you would be cutting short with doctor assisted suicide no sorry than to take that opportunity to transcend that suffering first of all and second of all i personally hold it to be true that the transcendence of suffering does a lot more than just self-enlightenment. I think that it it is the only way to live and that it is the only way to bring about lasting positive change. Hmm. And so I think that your responsibility to steward your life and all of those things that you think may have gone out the window increased dramatically in those last three months of, months of your life while you're suffering incredibly.
Interesting. Okay, so we we have uh, two roads split in the forest. Nick went one way and Spencer went the other, as what normally happens. So, uh, first thought when it comes, and this I think is a rabbit trail. So I'm just showing you knowledge to rabbit trail. If you want to not watch the rabbit trail, just move to the next podcast because we probably will come back. Um, it is the the concept of pushing through suffering. So. In Buddhism, oftentimes the idea of enlightenment is saying that enlightenment is always here and around the corner and that no situation brings us closer to or further from enlightenment. <sighs> and we see the Buddha himself who went through this period of asceticism saying that suffering wow. would bring me closer to enlightenment. And Wow, I'm really a bad Buddhist. <laughs> flat out saying that suffering does not bring me closer to enlightenment. Um, now, if that is... For some people, suffering does bring them to, quote, enlightenment, depending on who you believe. Um, my second thought would be when it comes to your idea that the only way to make uh, concrete forward movement in our society is to overcome suffering, I would disagree with that as well. And the reason I would disagree with that is because I think that suffering will always be perpetuated and that suffering will really never end. Uh, and I would say that what we need to do is not um, transcend suffering, but learn to live with suffering. Is that the same thing? Depending on what you mean by transcend suffering. To totally accept it without resistance. And for those who understand the difference between resistance and passivity, you can not be resistant to something while still working for its improvement. I, that could be, I think, a good way to reduce some suffering in the world. No, not, not necessarily reduce. Right. So not only do I think that we should learn to live with suffering um, or learn to uh, whatever words you might put around it to say transcend or not resist. I think that is also the responsibility of humankind, myself included, to reduce the amount of suffering in the world. So not only do I need to learn to live with it, I also need to make a reduction in it. So trying to bring that, like pull this back up to the idea of assisted suicide, that I believe fundamentally that if I have any rights, it is the right over my own life. But I also have responsibilities to others. At any time, for in my construct of the world, at any time... I think somebody has the ability to pull the card out and say, this is my right. I claim my right. Um, and there, there are certainly situations where you should um, like throw a red flag on the field and say, nope, the coach is stepping in because you're not in the right state of mind or you need, you haven't considered this. And we, you know, suspend that right from somebody because they're, they're in a bad position with the understanding that the reason we're suspending it is because they're not only abusing their rights, they're, abusing the responsibility to other people. But oftentimes there more often than is allowed in Western culture, people want to throw that card on the table and say, I want to end my life now. And we flat out reject that. Um, not usually because of social responsibility to others, but because we just have this uncomfortableness with death. One example, which I want to put on the table, um, which there's this vice documentary, which I watched several months ago, which I found to be, very impactful on this topic. And in brief, this individual was born with a chronic neurological condition, which caused him to physically suffer every moment of his life with almost debilitating pain. 
By the time he had turned 26, he had been to hundreds of, well, that's probably a little bit of an exaggeration, many physicians to help resolve this issue. And all of them said, we have no idea what is causing this. He is totally beyond hope. And yet every moment he is alive, he will continue suffering greatly. And he begged for years to be allowed to commit suicide. And he wasn't ever allowed to commit suicide um, from a physician-assisted standpoint. He turned to YouTube and he created years worth of um, vlogs talking about his life, how he lived with suffering, how he was learning to cope with suffering, his hopes when a new treatment would come around and his disappointments when that treatment didn't work. And one common theme was he said, I think I should have the right to end my life because I am going through whatever, which nobody disagrees is an mm. extreme amount of suffering. So he ended up when he turned I don't know, his mid twenties and went and committed suicide by himself. Um, and his, he left a letter um, when he did that. And he goes, I really wish that I could have done this with my parents around me, with my brother holding my hand um, in a way which wouldn't have caused me even greater suffering um, not only through the physical suffering I went through as I committed suicide, but the psychological suffering that I went through worrying about whether my parents would be prosecuted or that my brother would be taken away from them because they should have known. He goes, I think this is a terrible system and I can't believe that we're allowing this to wow. be perpetuated. And so like, I look at that situation and I say, what person wouldn't allow this person to commit suicide? Mm -hmm. Like, I think this goes, the reason I, Thing that we don't allow in the U.S. is twofold. One, we're uncomfortable with the idea of death, which is a big one. But two, we have this, we don't understand why humans innately deserve life. And because we don't understand that, we don't know when we should allow them to not, um, not perpetuate their life onwards. But when I look at that situation, I, I think I would need more time to react to it in a less emotional and more reasoned way. Yeah. But I can go, if I could think of a situation. Sure that would be a, one of the situations and that sounds like a one in 7.3 billion situation yeah you know like you, you don't really hear many of those cases which is why it made it to a vice documentary and i think you know in situations like that i i might agree um i don't agree that i, I think every i don't want to say every society is uncomfortable with death but i think innately as humans we're uncomfortable with death because we're a product of those offspring that survived and wanted to. Um, I think that I wouldn't say that the United States is uncomfortable with death. I think that there's this weird societal opinion about mental health, depression, suicide, and stuff like that. And, um, but I don't know that I would categorize it as like we are uncomfortable. I'd with say death. we are deeply uncomfortable with death, and maybe out of all societies, we are in the top third of societies which are most uncomfortable with that. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. What I would say is I think that um, mental health issues and um, uh, d depression and suicide and how that's coped with, especially between the ages of like 15 and like 25 mm -hmm. is romanticized in a very unhealthy way. And I think it, what it does is it takes, we'll call the gentleman you were speaking of Joe. Sure. It takes Joe's case and it takes everyone else's and it brings his down and it elevates theirs to make it seem like we're talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. When I think that, um, it's often a shirking of responsibility or, um, and, and 
it wouldn't be blacklisted remarks if I didn't have to put my foot in my mouth. But, <laughs> um, you know, this is coming from somebody who deals with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Like, don't pretend like I don't understand what that's like. I'm just saying that I think that there's a certain amount of perspective that needs to be granted when you look at things like Joe's case um, versus something that like you have the power to change and you're just too lazy to. So on that, as this episode kind of comes to an end, the the seatbelt sign is on and the plane is landing. Yeah. I'd be interested to know, this is a conversation has been a lot about what does Spencer think about assisted suicide? When is it acceptable? When is it not? I'd like to know what Nick thinks about um, assisted suicide. When is it acceptable? When is it not? This was an intentionally Spencer-weighted episode. And with that... You've been listening to Blacklist Remarks. My name is Nick Stempauser. My name is Norbert Field. <laughs> Signing off. Yeah.